0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So those who came up to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there you will be my disciples, There will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it and said to one another that it had thundered, Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now the judgment of this world, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray, ask for God's help as we look at his word. Heavenly Father, uh, what can we say about who you are? You're the father of glory. And not a one of us um, can fully deal with or appreciate your holiness or how glorious you are. And yet you have so condescended as to... um, come after us, to bring us into your presence, to see, and uh, Lord, the response always when people truly see you is to be shocked and amazed and undone and overwhelmed, and um, so we pray that as we look at your word now, your Holy Spirit would visit us and do again what you're always doing, reveal yourself to us, open our eyes. Uh, Show our hearts who you are and let us be affected as we ought to be. And so we look to you to do this. We want to have an interaction with the living God as we look at his word. Lord, help me, please, to teach this faithfully and clearly. Um, So flawed, I need your help. But Lord, uh, please, please do this now. Show us who you are. Show us what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Do you ever have the fear that you're wasting your life? That um, you've got this much time and you're not making the most of it? You don't have the legacy you kind of dreamed up when you were young? You don't have the satisfaction you were hoping for? Slipping through your fingers like oil. How could we know we're making the most of the life we've been given? How could we know? Is there anything out there that's worth everything? And have you found it? You know, there's so many voices, right, talking to us about what to live for. There's so many influences telling us if you just did this or had that, that's what's worth living for. You'll be told, live for yourself, That's what life's all about. You'll be told to live for comfort, for leisure, for the ability to be free or travel or validate yourself. Anyway, all these voices, it raises the question, who can you trust for things like these? How, how, How could you know how to answer the question, is there anything worth everything, How can you know you're not wasting your life? Well, part of that is why we have a mission statement here at Fountain of Life, and if you're new with us today, we've been working through that mission statement the last few weeks, and today we're gonna finish up. So I'd like to remind you of the mission statement again. Hopefully, uh, if you're a member here or you're a regular, it's sinking in a little bit. You can remember it on your own, but let's look at it again together. Grounded in the gospel, we gather to grow in, in the gospel and scatter to spread the gospel for the glory of God. So we remember there's one main thing we want to emphasize. Did you see a repeated word? The gospel. What is that? It's a, it's a wonderful news. It's the good news of the person and work of Jesus as found in the New Testament. It's who he is and what he's done. That's the good news. Nothing better than this. And everything flows out of that. We want to be grounded in the gospel. So when I think of that, if you come here for very long, I want your heart to find all its deepest needs in Jesus. Your righteousness, your forgiveness, your joy, your peace, your identity. I want you to be anchored to him. For who you are in relationship to God. For how you see yourself. Grounded right there. Then as a result of that, we want to gather to grow in him. For those who know Christ, we have work to do, right? I want to know him more. I want to be changed more to be more like him. And a main way we do that is we get together. Why are we a church? We want to see more of Jesus. We want to grow in Jesus. We gather to grow in the gospel. Then third, what should happen when you leave church? When we scatter from here. We want to scatter to spread the gospel. We want others to know and see Jesus through our lives. So if you missed... uh, those messages would be great if you wanted to catch up. Check them out on the website, the first section of our mission. Today, we're trying to unpack this last phrase for the glory of God. And I realize that phrase can sometimes feel like it belongs in a theological museum. For the glory of God. Yeah, right, for the glory of God. Um, I guess it's important, but I don't really know what it means. It can feel that way sometimes. Or do you, do you feel excited when you hear that phrase, for the glory of God? Does your heart go, yes, or are you kind of, is that just the tag? It's like at the end of the prayer. Name Jesus, amen. What are we supposed to do with this? This is the one thing that's worth everything. This is not just a tag on to the end of the mission to make it theologically acceptable. As we're going to see today, the glory of, of God is at the heart of the mission. So I've told you, uh, we want to emphasize the gospel, the person of who Jesus is and what he's done. So this morning, we're going to look at this amazing moment in John chapter 12. And there's kind of a tipping point moment for Jesus. A little bit of background. Um, As you read through the gospel of John, John's account of Jesus' life, by the time you get to chapter 12, his popularity is as high as it's ever been. And masses of people who've come to Jerusalem for Passover have just welcomed him as the delivering king. They're putting their robes down, they're waving palm branches, and that means you're the one who's going to save us. And they're hoping, they're wondering if he's going to militarily, politically save them from Rome. His popularity is as high as it's ever been, but also the tensions as high as it's ever been. The religious leaders and now even the temple priests, they're scheming together. They want to kill him, they're dedicated to killing him. All that's happened in the Gospel of John. And then, this first verse we're encountering today Jesus' disciples give him this report that Greeks are coming and saying, Hey, we want to see Jesus. Greeks, why is that notable? Well, they're not Jews. They're outsiders coming to seek the Jewish Messiah. Outsiders coming to seek the Jewish king. And for Jesus, this, it's like a channel change. It's a tipping point. It's time. That's what he says next. Do You see in verse 23, the hour has come. So as the outsiders come to Jesus, he says the hour has come. It's time. Now's the time. Then he says this strange phrase. The hour has come for the Son of Man... To what? Be to be glorified. And yet, you, don't, you know what he's talking about? What is he talking about? He's talking about the cross. Strange. And so really, I love this text for so many reasons, but one is you get this special treat of, of getting inside Jesus' inner motivations. So Jesus is actually going to unpack the one thing that's worth everything for him. He's going to show you what motivates him, why he came. He's going to show you what's most important to him, why he went to a cross. He's going to tell us right here. And so as we're looking at the inner workings of the gospel itself, remember the gospel is who Jesus is and what he's done. We're going to look into the inner motivations of that and find what makes Jesus tick like nothing else. The one thing worth everything to him. And so it's really quite amazing. It's the core of a mission. It's the core of life itself. So I'd like to try to unpack this with you, uh, I guess, in four episodes. We're talking about glory, to the glory of God. So I want to start a little bit with just what, do, what is glory? What does that mean? Then second, I want to show you how the gospel shows you the pattern of glory. There's a way glory expresses itself. After the pattern of glory, we're going to look at the essence of glory, It's kind of as high as we can get into this. And then finally, uh, after the gospel shows us the pattern of glory and the essence of glory, the gospel lets us see and share the glory. So that's what we're going to try to do, four parts. What is glory? How the gospel shows you the pattern of glory, how the gospel shows you the essence of glory, and how the gospel lets you see and share the glory glory. Uh, so are you ready? This is work. You ready? Here we go. It's good work. First of all, what is glory? It's not, it's not like a street corner word for most of us that we're using often. Uh, if you look at the Hebrew and Greek words used for this idea, I think we can come up with three emphases for this word and what it means. Number one, it means heavy. Glory means heavy, deeply influential, deeply valuable, something deeply worthy of respect, something serious, something that makes all the difference, something that you wouldn't want to toy with, something that you wouldn't want to take lightly. It, uh, it, It dominates everything. It's heavy. But it's not just heavy, it's also beautiful. So the word glory has in it majesty or radiance or light. It's, uh, it's captivating, um, it's desirable, which is why I think it's accurate to say glory is this, awesome, heavy beauty, awesome. You have both a fear of it and a hunger for it. It terrifies you a little bit, but it's irresistible. Awesome, heavy beauty, so serious, but so amazing, so terrifying, but so satisfying, You want to run, but you can't. It's glorious. Having said that, I want to ask this question. What does it mean to glorify something then? How do you glorify something? So the the noun, glory, awesome, heavy beauty, what's it mean to glorify? To glorify is to express how you value something with your life. So you glorify something in your affections, what you love and ponder and meditate on and think about and hope for. You're glorifying something. You glorify something in your mind, what you're dwelling on, meditating on. You glorify something with your mouth, what you're talking about. You wanna tell people about this. You wanna share the news. You glorify something with your lifestyle. You, You pursue it. What you glorify the most is like the sun in your solar system. You're evolving around it. It's the awesome, heavy beauty of your life. So I think it's important to note that the idea of glorifying something is not just some abstract theological term far away. This is your everyday life. This is how you feel every day. This is what you live for every day. The question is not if you glorify something. The question is what you're glorifying all the time. So I'll ask you, what is the sun in your solar system? What do you love the most? What, is your, what do you catch your mind wandering towards? What do you catch your heart being thrilled by? What do you catch captivating your attention? And if somebody was to look at your life, your time spent, your checkbook, your passions, what would they say about you? What would they say is the sun in your solar system? Because again, the question isn't if you're glorifying something. It's what you're glorifying. After you ponder that, the next question is this Is what you're glorifying worthy of all you are? Is your one thing truly the one thing worth everything? Wouldn't it be awful to waste your life revolving around something that doesn't deserve to be the sun of your solar system? Glory is awesome, heavy beauty. To glorify is to express how you value what you find to be most glorious. And everybody does it all the time. The question's not if, the question is what. So now I think we're a little bit more ready to think about what Jesus is saying. And we're going to look at what he gives as the pattern of glory. Let's start John 12, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. You know, you read this and you think, Ah, big deal. You're floating along. Oh, it's a big deal. It's such a big deal. I'm going to try really quickly to tie this into the whole storyline of the Bible. You ready? We'll be done by tomorrow morning. I'm just kidding. But think about it. To understand the details, you got to tie it into the overall story. To to understand the overall story, you got to tie it into the details. So you think of Greeks coming to Jesus. What's going on? Well, let's remember, there's an awesome, holy, beautiful God who made human beings in his image. He made you to be able to see and enjoy how glorious he is and be satisfied in him in fellowship with one another. That's what we're made for. That's life. But in Adam and Eve, we all fell. We bought the lie. We bought Satan's lie. God's not good. His word's not true. He's not glorious. So then you'll replace him with something else. You make something that's not as glorious to him as the sun of your solar system. That's sin. And so we fell. It brought death, physical death, relational death, cosmic death, spiritual death. That's why we're in the trouble we're in. But God is So glorious that he's gracious and he promises he's going to send one who's going to save his people, redeem the people. Not only that, renew the world. He's going to win us back. And so you walk through Abraham, uh, the man of faith. This promise is going to come true, true through him and his family and the nation he becomes. And then David is kind of the ultimate king of that nation and God makes a promise it's going to be a king out of your lineage. And then finally, after hundreds and hundreds of years, promise after promise, we get to Jesus the son of david the gospel of matthew will say the son of abraham he, he's the one god has sent to save us and the blessing is going to be for all nations not just the jews so do you see what's happening now this promise that we've been waiting for for all these years these greeks coming to the jewish king they're like the first flowers growing up in the winter snow It's the sign spring is coming. It's the tipping point. It's happening. It's working. That's why it's so significant for Jesus, because he says immediately, The hour has come. It's time. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, this is mind blowing, and back then it would have been almost too much to accept. It was for his audience. He's going to be glorified on a cross. How is that even conceivably possible? Because you realize the cross is the ultimate deglorifier. That's what the cross does. The, the Romans said, we will deglorify you. Remember awesome, heavy beauty? On the cross, we're going to strip you naked, rip you to shreds, and let you hang there in front of everyone while we make fun of you. You're not awesome. You're not heavy. You're not important. You're nothing. You're definitely not Beautiful. The cross is the ultimate de-glorifier. How can Jesus say that he's going to be glorified on a cross? It's almost impossible to believe. Well, it's very important to realize here that Jesus is not going to the cross because he's being forced into it somehow. Is it true that religious leaders hated him and wanted him crucified? Sure. Sure. Is it true that Pilate would follow through for political expediency? Sure, but those aren't really the controlling factors. Look at what Jesus said in John 10, 17 to 18. For this reason the Father loves me because I, what? I lay down my life that I may take it up again. This next line I love. Who takes Jesus' life from him? No one. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So, so ponder this. Jesus is going to the cross on purpose, right? The next question is so important. Why? What would motivate someone to go to a cross on purpose? Wouldn't you have to accept that this is an incredibly powerful motivator? Do you want anything that badly? Jesus does. And so you're opening into what he loves and what he wants in such an incredible way. You're seeing his one thing that is worth everything. So we're going to see what Jesus lived for, but first, look at the look at what he gives us first. It's a pattern of glory. Because how do we know it's a pattern of glory? What do you say? Now's the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And here's this pattern. So watch. Verse 24 to 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it bears much fruit. Let's think, let's think that out a little bit. Uh, a seed, if a seed really wants to make a difference and not waste its little seed life, What does it need to do? Did you notice? Yeah, you can't just be like, I like being a seed. And so if your seed said to you, hey, I just want to stay a seed forever, you might rebuke your seed and say, that's all you'll ever be, one little seed. But it's scary for the seed, just like it's scary for you and for me. Because guess what you don't want to do? You don't want to die. But Jesus says the pattern here is, sown by, is shown by the seed. It's in the pattern of creation, isn't it? Every fall, winter, spring. The seed dies, and as it dies to its seedness, it doesn't die in the sense that it is annihilated. It dies to its seedness and is transformed into, well, you get the idea, a tree that bears fruit with infinitely more seeds. The kind of life changes into a greater life. Isn't Jesus the ultimate example of this pattern? Come on, you can't help but see this. Wow, yeah. I'm gonna turn down the glory for a moment, okay. Somebody really liked that last line. (laughs) Just unplug it, yeah. Thank you. Let's give him a hand. He's yeah. So we're thinking of Jesus as the seed. Think of think of how he's the ultimate in this example. Read it in Philippians 2 later on. From the highest of the heights he came as the eternal Son of God and sank to the lowest of the low, death on a cross. And he did it to save the worst of the worst. And then he rose from the dead to bring a humongous harvest of people he saves. It's the, and, and what do our hearts say to that? When you think of who he is, so high, going so low for you, for me. What does your heart say to that? If you're awake, you're going to say, glorious. Is that awesome to you? Is that heavy to you? Is that beautiful to you? The pattern of glory is self-giving for the benefit of others. That's the pattern of glory. Our culture struggles with this, it really does. So every September 11th, we're gonna praise the first responders, firemen and police officers, why? Why are we gonna praise them? They gave themselves up for others. What is that? That's glorious, that's what that is. And it's in all our best stories, pay attention, watch the movies. Every good story, it's resolved by this some, some person giving up her interests for the sake of others. So in one sense, we know this. It's the pattern of glory. And yet we're so confused because what else does your culture tell you? Who should you live for? Yourself. What feelings should you follow? Your feelings. Whose comfort should you go after? Your comfort. Whose legacy should you build? your legacy. Do you see the contradiction here? Which one is it? Is it self-giving or self-building? Which one is it? And so we're we're tempted, we're in tension. But Jesus makes it plain, he makes it clear. The pattern of glory is self-giving for others. You die to yourself and you will live in a way you never imagined. And it will be glorious. Awesome, heavy, beautiful. This is the song of every Christian heart. Look what John will later write in the book of Revelation. Revelation 5, 9 to 10. They sing a new song. Saying, what's that next word? Worthy. Worthy, you see. Who deserves to be the son of your solar system? Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll And open its seals. That means you're worthy to be in charge of everything. You're the answer to the needs and questions of all history. It continues. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals? For you were, what? Slain. Slain. Did you see that? What's most glorious? The seed that dies. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Do you see Jesus' incredible love and grace for you and for me? And the pattern of his glory in giving himself up for others. And the heart that believes can only say, what? Glorious. What do we say? Worthy. That's the pattern of glory. Glory is awesome, heavy beauty. The pattern of glory is self-giving for others. But we can go deeper, and we're going to. Why is self-giving for others the pattern of true glory? Why? Now we get to see some of the essence of glory. Now look at this. I hope this blows your mind as much as it does mine. Jesus is thinking of the cross. Now look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Now pause. Um, My soul gets troubled when I have to go to the orthodontist. (laughs) What makes you afraid? What makes you say, get me out of this? I can't fathom existing if I knew I was going to a cross tomorrow. I'd be on the fetal position, uh, on the floor in the corner, sucking my... uh, How do you you function knowing that's what's coming? Yeah, his soul's troubled. But he's not even just thinking of the torment of the cross, which would be enough. He's thinking of taking upon the separation from his father and his father's eternal wrath. If there was ever something to, to make you cringe or run the other way, it would be this... And so to listen to Jesus here, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. What's his next line? For this purpose I've come to this hour. He came for this. He came for this. Why? You would never expect the next line. So just to build this up again, we're asking, why is Jesus going to the cross? It's not because he's forced to it. He's choosing it on purpose. What is his motivation? Why would he do such a thing? How would you answer that? Look at how he answers it in verse 28. Father, what's the next phrase? Glorify your name. Is this a small thing for Jesus? Again, this burns in him so deeply that he is willing to go to, to what? A cross. And his prayer as he hits the cross is this. Father, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be seen as the most awesome, the most heavy, the most beautiful You almost expect the father to say, simmer down, son. You don't need to do that. You don't need to go to the cross for my glory. Look at the father's answer to this prayer. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it. Do you understand? What is the Father in heaven always doing? He is glorifying his own name. He is showing how he is awesome, heavy, beauty. And what is the Son's desire? That the Father would keep doing this. And that the Son would show this to the point of a cross. You can't put into words how much the son loves his father's glory. Let's ask this question now. How does the cross glorify the father? How does this work? How could Jesus do this? Look at Romans 3.23. You've heard this before, but maybe it'll ring out to you in a new way. Romans 3.23. What's the second word there It's really important? For all. And in the Greek, that word means? That's right. All. So does that include me? Yeah. And you? Uh Uh-huh. All have sinned. Okay, I made a mistake once. No. All have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. We get to unpack the heart of sin here. Why did you lie? Why did you lust? Why are you prideful? Why? It's because God and his word were not valuable to you. Not enough for you. Your heart said nothing awesome here. Nothing heavy here. Nothing beautiful here. Some counterfeit God who is not glorious was better to you than the true and living glorious God. Do you see that? Sin is de-glorifying God. That's what it is. And so Jesus, in his cross, is showing you the Father's glory by exposing what denying the Father's glory deserves. You see that? He's showing you the Father's glory by exposing and revealing on the cross how valuable the Father's glory is as he shows you what denying the Father's glory deserves. That's how he's glorifying his Father. Think about justice, right? A just penalty is based on the value of the thing sinned against. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, Steal a TV, one kind of punishment. Murder someone should be a different kind of punishment, right? Why? Because the TV is not as glorious as the human life. It's not as valuable. So the punishment shouldn't be as severe, right? Obviously, that's justice. Oh, but what did you sin against in that little sin? Infinite value. How many millions of times have I looked at God's infinite value And said, "Not valuable." And each one of those deserves an infinite punishment. I'm terrified of the idea of hell. I'm not in love with the idea of hell. But this this helps me understand the idea of hell. I infinitely deserve an infinite punishment for continually denying God's infinite glory. That's what Jesus is thinking of. So he shows the Father's glory by taking on himself such a punishment that exposes to us what denying the Father's glory deserves. This is how valuable my Father's glory is, says Jesus Unbelievable. But we can go deeper, and we will. Not only does the son love to glorify the Father, but as you read through John, the rest of the Bible, what else do you see happening? Look at this line from Jesus in John five, twenty two. John five twenty two. The Father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the Son. We'll just pause there for a minute. Part of who God is, is judge of the universe. He alone knows and is the standard of right and wrong, and he alone knows with perfect evidence what every one of us has said, thought, and done. But he's totally given the job away. Now, who on earth could be worthy to judge everyone? It's kind of a large job description, isn't it? Powerful enough, wise enough, infinite enough, knowledgeable enough, etc. The Father has given all judgment to who? The Son. Verse 23, so that all may honor the Son just as they what? Honor the Father. If this is one of the greatest arguments for Jesus' view of his own divinity, I don't know what to say. You all should honor me just as you honor the Father. What's he saying? I'm God, right? I'm truly, actually eternal God. But moreover, don't you see? In the life of the triune God, you don't just have Jesus burning with the desire to glorify his Father. You have the Father burning with the desire to do what? Glorify his Son. My glory to him, the Father says. He's the only one. He's the way to me. Him and him alone. He's the judge. His life is perfect. He's the one. Honor him as you honor me, the Father says. We could go deeper. Look at John 16, 13. John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So Jesus promising the Holy Spirit would guide his apostles into all truth. So this verse is part of why we believe the Bible. The Spirit inspired this. But what I want you to see is that first phrase in verse 14. What does the Spirit do? He will glorify me. Who's talking? Jesus. What does the Spirit do? Glorify the Son. And don't you see that if you read the New Testament? Who stands out? Who's the spotlight shining on? Jesus. We want, we want that to come out in our mission statement. Grounded in the gospel. we got to grow in the gospel and scatter to spread the gospel. Jesus is glorified there. That's what the Spirit does. But are, are you catching on here to the inner life of God? Who does Jesus want to glorify? Father. Who does the Father want to glorify? The Son. Who does the Spirit want to glorify? The Son and the Father. I ask you, why is it that the pattern of glory is self-giving for the benefit of others? And here's the answer. What has God been doing within himself for all eternity? Giving himself up for the benefit of others. The Father wants the Son glorified. The Son wants the Father glorified. The Spirit wants the Son glorified. Do you see? They're all giving glory and honor and love and praise to one another. This is our God. And there's no other God like him. So you see, can we say this? Is this true? God loves his glory. Do you know that? you know that? God loves his glory. Now for some of you, when you hear that, you don't like it. It's an itch, it's bugging you. Why is that? Why is it bugging you to think of God loving his glory? Well, here's why I didn't like it the first time I thought of it. I was thinking of God as if he was a human being. And I know one thing for sure, when humans love their glory, I don't like those humans. (laughs) (laughs) Think of the cockiest person you know, right? And think of your response to that person. Anybody who says, hey, behold my glory, you're thinking, we've seen it. (laughs) It's not glorious. And yet, by the way, don't we keep glorifying glorifying ourselves all the time? Why, Why are we doing that? So we don't like when we think of God loving his glory. That's because we're thinking of him as if he were a human. If I glorify myself to you, it's a lie. I'm not that awesome. I'm not worthy to be the sun in your solar system. I can't satisfy anyone or deliver anyone. But God is not like that. What is God like? He's perfect. He's righteous. He's beautiful. He is in himself glorious. It would be unloving and unrighteous for God not to glorify himself because he is actually truly glorious. He must love his own glory the most because it is that which must be loved the most. It's that which is worthy to be loved the most. If he values what is good, he must value himself above all because only he is truly good. So this humbles us deeply. But it also... Sets us free. Let me give you one example of why. Look at Psalm 79 9. We don't know how to pray like this, but we're going to get taught. Psalm 79 9. Help us, O God of our salvation. Then look at the request in the second line Deliver us and atone for our sins. You ever ask God for this? Help me, save me, deliver me, forgive me. You ever ask God for that? Yeah. What would you use to motivate God to do that? God, forgive me. Why? Because I deserve it? Ah. Help me, God. Why? Because I am always faithful to you? If the ground of God's love for you is in you, you will never be loved. If, If the ground of his faithfulness to you, is your faithfulness or your goodness? There's no ground. But if the ground of God's love for you is God's love for His glory, that means His love is unshakable because that never changes. Look here, help us, O God, of our salvation. Why? For the glory of your name. For your own glory, save me. You love your glory. You should love your glory. I trust in you. I belong to you according to your promises. So for your glory, help me out. And what does God say? Sure. (laughs) I'm down. I'm in. Deliver us and atone for our sins. Why? For your name's sake. Or we could pray even better. Your son went to the cross for your glory. And on that cross, he paid for my sins. Forgive me based upon what he's done. And what will the father say every time? Forgiven. God's love for his glory is the ground, the foundation of his love for us. The essence of glory is the triune God who is glorious and loves his own glory. And the reason we have the pattern of glory as being self-giving for the benefit of others is because that is who God is. We're going to study 1 John in a couple of weeks and we're going to see the line that says God is love. And the ultimate reason God is love is not because he loves his creation. Do you understand that? That would mean before his creation he was not loving that would mean that he would need his creation to finally be everything he wanted to be. And that means he's not glorious. Oh no, God has always eternally been love before he created. And why is that? Because the Father loves the Son. And the Son loves the Father. And the Spirit is the person of their love. God is glorious. The gospel shows us that. So what have we seen so far? Glory is awesome, heavy beauty. The pattern of glory is self-giving for the benefit of others. The essence of glory is the glorious triune God who loves his glory. Now we want to see how the gospel shares the glory. Verse 31, Jesus says, Now's the judgment of this world. How's the cross judge the world? As Jesus comes to the cross for the glory of his father, he is showing the world how ridiculous the world is on choosing glories. Jesus is showing the world and saying your glory choices are wrong. You don't see it. You don't see what's there. You don't see the Father's glory. And so the question for you is and I, do you see a different glory on the cross now? Do you see something better than the glories of this world? Is he opening your eyes? Second, Jesus says the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who's that? That's Satan. And what's his big deal for you? Remember, what's his main lie? What is it? God's not good. His word's not true. Replace him. Satan's main lie is God's not glorious. Replace him with a false glory. And now, through the cross, the ruler of this world is cast out, and people will be saved from his deception to see and share. Moreover, through the cross and through faith in Jesus, you can be saved from God being glorified on you in wrath because Jesus took God's wrath in your place. And you can be saved to, well, look at this, Ephesians 1.6, a great summary of what it feels like to be saved by the glorious cross. Ephesians 1, six, our hearts live to the what? To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in who? The beloved. His beloved son wore our sins for us. And as we turn to him, we're set free from this addiction to false glories to see the real thing, to see his glorious grace, love we don't deserve. And that's really the heights of God's glory. The heights of of your salvation is for you to taste the immense grace of God for you in Christ that it bubbles out of you in praise. And you know what praise is? It's the expression of joy at something beautiful. You've seen glory. Read Romans 5 later. Read the beginning of Romans 5. The Christian life now is we rejoice in hope of what? You remember? The glory of God. Look at Jesus' prayer in John 17, John 17, 24. This is Jesus praying for his people. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. It's an expression of Jesus' love for you, John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may what? What's his first request? May be with me where I am. How'd you get that ticket to get in that room? It's the cross. And then the second thing, what does he pray that you'd be able to do? To see my glory. No one else can talk like this. (laughs) Would you guys like to come over to see my glory? No. Okay. Jesus prays out of his love for you that you would be able to do what? See his glory the glory that the Father gave him because he loved him before the foundation of the world. Do you see? Do you see the pattern of glory? The Father blessing and glorifying the Son and the Son through his cross bringing you in to see and share the glory despite the reality that you've trampled on it so many times because of what he's done on the cross. The gospel invites us in to see and share it. He is ours as we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. That takes us back up to the pattern. Look at chapter 12, 25 to 26 one more time. This is the result of what happens when you see God's glory through Jesus' cross. 25, whoever loves his life What? Why would you be like that seed and die? Because you love your life. Because you want to live. Do you want to live? Remember that question I asked you in the beginning? How do you know you're really living for something? How do you know you found the one thing that's everything? It's this. If you love your life, lose it. If you hate your life in this world... For Jesus' sake, you'll keep it for what? Eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Follow him in that pattern of glory. Where I am, my servant will be also. And then here's the kicker. If anyone serves me, what? The Father will honor him we imagine this for a moment? We've seen the pattern of glory, giving yourself up for the benefit of others. We've seen the essence of glory. This is the triune God. The son glorifies the father. The father glorifies the son. But now Jesus is inviting you in through faith in what he's done in the cross. You can see God's glory and you will see God's glory. And so he invites you to walk with him on the pattern, the pattern of glory, where you give your life up for the benefit Of God and others so that you will truly live. And then on that last day, when you stand before the Father, what will he do to you? He will honor you. And what will you do when the Father, the glorious Father, honors you? I don't know. Melt like ice cream in the sun. I mean, I don't know. How do you handle that? But will you, will you be happy? Will you be satisfied? Will you think that was living? You will. Be grounded in the gospel. Gather to grow in the gospel. And scatter to spread the gospel. Why? For the glory of God. Let's pray. Jesus, you are glorious. We don't have words for it. We want to see it. We glorify you for what you did on the cross for us. We glorify you, triune God, for who you are, a self-giving, other-praising God. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, how many times we've treated you like boring, like nothing, like less than beautiful. Thank you for the cross where Jesus glorified you by paying for our sins, And loving us so deeply, thank you that in him we can be forgiven and set free to see and love what's truly glorious, our great God. And we pray, Lord, that as we get this vision of who you are and your beauty, that we would be inspired to walk in your pattern. And like Jesus, we would give our selfishness up for others, for you, that we might truly live and that you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.